Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Broken Shovel Podcast, homesteading for a sustainable future. Uh, my name is Lucas, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Eric. Say hello, Eric. Hello. How are you today? You staying warm? Staying warm. It's, it's already started warming up. It's up to 20 already here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, my, I bottomed out at negative two. One yeah, wasn't too I, bad. I don't know. I, I, when I got up at eight this morning, it was up to seven. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, yeah, it's you know, to, I mean, the high today is supposed to be the mid thirties, though. Yep, and we're looking at forties and fifties throughout the week. Yep. Uh, great sugaring <laughs> weather, which is a a very early sugaring this year because normally yeah. sugaring is done in March. But hey, if as long as as long as the sap flows, and I mean, it all tastes good. It's. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. I was talking with my neighbor uh, who runs the lines up and down my road yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And uh, yeah, he's he's moving his lines and getting ready to go this week. Yep. So um, I mean, there's a lot of places boiling this past week. Yep. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a few of the more industrial places that are boiling. So hopefully it's a better year for everybody. Yes, hopefully. Yes, hopefully it's a better year. We'll see. See, but I mean, right now we have the perfect weather. Where it's getting really cold at night and just above freezing during the day. Yep, that's what we want, uh, and that's where I'm, how I'm choosing to plant my maple this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, today's topic is mining. Uh, we, we, this has kind of come up off and on in a few different episodes. Kind of a passionate one for Eric. Uh, and uh, date of release is going to be February the twenty seventh, uh, and all information is accurate to that date. Um, uh, uh, I, I do have a question for you before we get into this. All right. Yes. Uh, uh, what, what is a miner's favorite day of the week? I, I, I don't know. What is the miner's favorite day of the week? Shafter day. <laughs> you know, when you give me bad attitude for my bad jokes. Yeah, well, yeah, yours are worse. Um, well, uh, Eric, do you want to get us started? We're, to, we're talking about mining, mining practices, how it directly impacts the environment uh, uh, around the world. Uh, we yep. we live in an area that was had, uh, I'm sorry, three major copper mines at one yep. point. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, salt, yes, salt, Peter, and and copper. Yeah, which was uh, throughout like the early 1800s and, and uh, probably straight through to the early like 1900. Uh, 19, um, I think they. I, I want to say the Eli was. They said they operated into the '60s, and same thing with the one over on your side. That is the Eli, Eli copper yeah, mine. The Eli, yeah, the Eli one, and then one, the one on my side. It operated into the 1960s, which you could tell because you have old mining equipment on your neighbor's property. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it ran from uh, to the early 1900s from 1853 to the year. But the, the, the interesting thing is that the EPA is still, is there now cleaning it up. Uh, it's, it, it really, the, the sulfur byproduct has uh, really impacted the local environment. Yeah. There's um, a spot along 132. And this is actually, this is actually from the, the Strafford, the Elizabeth mine. Yeah. Which is on the Strafford side. You can actually see a spot when you're going up 132 where uh, there is just, it's, just this orange slurry coming down the hill, going into that brook that goes into into Thetford. Yeah, it's it's devastating to see something that you know over a hundred years later is still uh, uh, 
probably just as jacked up as it was when the mine closed. Yep. Um, yep. They've done that one is um we'll get and I'll get well at the end of the episode I'll get into um Brownfield and Superfund sites because okay. that's actually both the Eli and the Elizabeth mine are both kind of semi success stories for the eventual reclamation. Okay. All right. So we'll get well, to that at the end. Yeah, let's get this party started. Yeah. So starting with our because we love starting with definitions because we're just <laughs> such great intellectuals here. <laughs> and I, I, a lot of my I, I got a lot of my information from Wikipedia, and unfortunately, even on Wikipedia, the bias was very much towards pro mining and downplaying the uh, impacts and up selling the mining companies saying that yeah it's not going to be that impactful yeah we're going to reclaim it yeah we're going to do this stuff um but so yeah the the definition of mining is the extraction of and this is from the 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 wiki of useful and i very much put in quotes useful because useful will come into play later on in the episode uh materials from the earth (laughs) okay all right. So what are we doing? How are we doing it? Yeah. So I mean, well, it's, I mean, I mean, my, it's, it's, uh, there are, what do we do? I really, I covered mostly surface mining because okay. that's the, uh, that's the stuff that you see, like the visible, like what you see when like you think of like mining, mining, large scale mining operations, are these just massive holes in the ground with those the, the, the stepped sides because it helps prevent the collapse? But then we've seen those those crazy videos of the mine walls collapsing, which are terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, and this is like massive amount of land disturbance, even though yeah. it's it's it is one of those like lower impact ones, I guess. Yeah, they, they call it lower impact, but it's really not because I mean these are like I think of the ones like the, the the massive ones in China, out west in Germany, where the like the the absolutely massive dump trucks with like the tires that are size of a regular dump truck. They, <laughs> the uh, like these trucks look like Tinker Toys yeah. in these mines. That's how big these sites are. Yeah, see them okay. from space, kind of kind of sites. Yes, and like and, and there is no. There's no reclaiming that. Like they can say that they're going to do stuff to reclaim it, but there. And I, I will go. We'll go down to that late, late later on. Yeah, and, and by reclaiming, you mean sort of restoring it to its original state or another produ- productive use. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, and I will put some of the, the another productive use is big too. Uh, so. <laughs> of all mining in the U.S. is surface mining now. There's very – only 15% of mining is done like the the old-timey like gold rush era like stuff of like going down into the mine shaft is not really big big done. I mean there's – salt mining is is still done a lot of that because you can think of the one that's over in the Great Lakes that's still very much in operation. Mm -hmm. Those tunnels are freaking huge. Yeah, yeah. Like even that, those underground operations are absolutely massive. Another situation where these massive dump trucks look tiny inside of these tunnels. Wow. 
I, read yeah, a, I, I did read a nice story about those salt tunnels, though. Uh, uh, one of the miners met a geologist. And they, they fell in love because she really rocked his world. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. And I know that I know when I, I want to say in China or uh, an Asian nation actually has the um, the salt mines. They've they've, re- they've set up the multi-use as uh, evacuation tunnels in the event of natural disaster. Yeah, they, they really do fit into that very well. They uh, do. They, they could really house a lot of, of uh, displaced people. So one of the many, many, many minor positives of mining that it has a huge environmental impact. Mm-hmm. Minor yes. positive. Minor, yeah, minor positive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the four main types of surface mining are the open mining, uh, open pit mining, which are the ones that we see, like the big, the big, big, big ones. Uh, quarrying, which is a lot of what you see around here, like the uh, up in uh, Bethel. There's the white granite quarry up there, and there's also the one up in Barrie, which is the much more popular one. But we have we have a more local one, one to that. Yeah, uh, that thing is huge. It is. Um, it is very some, large. Some pretty impressive caves off the sides of it as well. Yes. Uh, then you have strip mining, and then mountaintop removal mining, which is actually something that we see around. We also see around here of the the gravel plant over in Lebanon is doing mountaintop removal as because like I mean I've lived here for 30 plus years so I've seen that 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 mountain that kind of overlooks West Lebanon I've mm-hmm. steadily watched that like get the chop like they just they keep chopping into it and keep chopping it down that's bananas to me that just absolutely breaks my brain that we're yeah. <laughs> removing a mountain yeah, it is. It was very much popularized by coal mining, but has a massive impact because the like for at least for coal mining, the material that they don't that doesn't contain the coal they have to put somewhere. So they end up filling up the streams and valleys and etc. around the mountain and just having just massive environmental impact because you're burying everything. Yeah, yeah, it's complete 180 on on an environment to just dump things in it. And... Yep. I mean, that's just that's like the uncontaminated materials. We'll get we'll, we'll, later on. We'll get into the uh, what they do with the contaminated material. That's the uh... <laughs> uh, I mean, mining companies to, uh, report that the uh, those the the surface type minings are cheaper and quote unquote safer to operate. Okay. But yeah, that's. I mean, you've also seen the video of those landslides of just like absolute, like just like wiping out the mines. The the all the piles of material don't always get put back. Uh, the materials are contaminated. Uh, there's massive habitat destruction. There's also the pollutants because they also use uh, really nasty chemicals to get the mineral they want out of this. For, for, is, and now are you talking about like like a fracking type situation or is no, this I'm like an astringent, like, uh, you know, uh, breaking more, down? They, they pulled the material out, they bring it over to this processing facility, and then they use cyanide and sulfuric acid 
to break down and extract the the mineral that they're looking for. Okay, that sounds yeah, that sounds like there would be some uh, environmental impact there. Yes. <sighs> yep, and then also the uh, they call it the tailings, but that's like the leftover material after the desire ore is is removed, and that stuff contains a lot of cyanide, uh, cyanide sulfuric acid. And a fun one that comes from the like like lithium mining, a uh, radioactive material. Oh, okay, that's that sounds like you should put it in the river. Yeah, they they, they do. They, they're a little better about not putting it in the river. So there's a, a new lithium mine out in the Midwest that their their new method is they're not going to dam the because t- a lot of coal they'll they'll build these earthen dams and then pile or make an earthen dam line it with plastic or cement and then pile the the tailings in there so brain and other things won't cause it to leach out and uh there's a lot of there, there's a there's a lot been a lot of stories of in coal country where these uh these tailing pits and tailing piles were not properly uh the dams failed and there is massive contamination in the water supply of Heavy metals like lead, copper, and other, because oh, in, when you're coal, when you're mining for coal, you don't really want the lead or the copper, copper. and other stuff, and they leave this other stuff there rather than. Be, it's like I, that in in my reading, I got so frustrated in that most of these mining operations are single ore oriented. So it's like, yeah, they're mining for iron, but if they get copper, meh, they don't care. They just they just throw that to the side. I'm like, but that's a useful mineral that we could also be extracting from this operation. And it just, I, I just kept getting fr- coming back to like these, these all these minerals that are being left left exposed that are extremely contaminating to the environment that we could be extracting as well and then using. Okay, so from the miner perspective on on that, like to be so laser focused on one, I mean, I suspect that there's probably different equipment. Different, um, different. Uh, it's mainly the extraction process of like how they get the mineral out of the tailings. Right. It's right. Like okay. They, if they add certain chemicals, it makes certain minerals then unusable in that in that tailing. Okay, I understand. So it's back to our local copper mines. The smelting process created massive amounts of sulfur, mm-hmm. uh, which did, they didn't have a use for. But there are uses for sulfur, um, but they just let it be. Yep. And it became an environmental disaster. Yes. Okay. Okay, I'm with you. Yep. Right, let me get back to my spot in my notes. <laughs> Oh, uh, so all right. So in um in in seventy seven, which in the seventies we also we, we've talked about this before, is when a lot of the early environmental protection stuff uh, after the Clean Water Act uh, came about. The, the late, later stuff like seventy seven, the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act, which mandates that mining companies have to reclaim sites after mining operations are completed. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot you 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 hear a lot of environmental stories in the news about how these companies will make these reclamation promises to get the permits to mine, um, 
get what they can out of the ground. And then the original company will then sell the mine to another mining company. Then they pass that, then they pass that, that requirement to clean up onto the next company. But the thing is, is the profit was left at the first company. So then the next company then maybe extracts a different ore from the mine or more, or is a more invasive operation to get the ores that the first operation didn't get, creating more contamination, but they, they're, they are umbrellaed under the first permit. So then they are potentially creating more contamination. Then they sell to a third company that is the quote unquote cleanup company. And that company ends up declaring bankruptcy and is unable to clean up the site. Okay. And this is a bit of a shell game, it sounds like. It is very uh, much a massive shell game of passing the buck and just basically finding, utilizing loopholes in the rules to then not have to clean up sites. And these companies are end up being sued to have to pay out and then they declare bankruptcy and then the payout doesn't come, which is how we end up with all these super fun sites and brownfields across the country that the EPA and the government are now responsible for cleaning up. Right. So, uh, yeah, and it sounds like not only loops, but sort of time and distance. You start, you know, an operation could take a decade. Uh, uh, to fully exploit the resources, uh, even in the first stage of this three stages you laid out. And then then you're looking at another five to 10 years. And then you're looking at another five to 10 years. And, you know, at that point, you know, there's always a possibility nobody's paying attention anymore and the rules have changed. Yep. And they're finding a lot of like in the uh, Virginia and Pennsylvania, uh, they're in West, West or Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, they're finding, uh, I remember uh, if you... I mean, you can probably throw a dart at a uh, environmental documentary and find something about the potash pits uh, leaking and contaminating heavy metals into local water supplies. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really uh, – and talking about the Eli Copper Mine, which is a few miles down the road from me, the creek that runs down below it, uh, every stone is discolored with from runoff uh it's uh really striking uh to yep. to suddenly come across like you know when you've crossed the line of the 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 mine because of the water uh yep. that's running on the opposite side of the land um yep. it's yeah and it's and the thing is is like with the eli mine the elizabeth mine and i can't remember the name of the third mine uh they the the company extracted its value out of it and then just left it. And then they eventually became ba- bankrupt or the company was dissolved. And again, the towns were then stuck having to rely on the EPA, which is why it's taking so long for like the Eli mine to get cleaned up because the EPA had to finish cleaning up the Elizabeth mine first before they could move on. And there was all kinds of controversy around that as well because they, uh, there was so much material pulled out that the 132 deteriorated so much that the EPA had to pay out to Thetford and Strafford to fix it, but they'd only issue one check. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So there was a long deal deal between like trying to get this this repaved, and it was a whole to do. But eventually, it did get repaved, although like it's already deteriorating again because we've had flooding and the way the road is built is very ripe for riverside erosion. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying they're going to repave uh, some of the areas around uh, um, the Eli copper mine as well. Cause of all the trucks are going to be running in and out of there. Yep. Uh, it, but it really sounds like the towns are really being taken for granite. Yeah. Granite. Yeah. <laughs> towns, counties, states. It's yeah. They're being, they're the ones really, it's the people that are getting hurt the most. Yeah. You know, and I'm starting to think like just looking at my notes and having not, uh, heard very much uh, 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 what your information. I, we should have started with these like pie in the sky ideas for solutions, uh, and you could have just knocked them down because it, I'm looking at my own list and just being like, this is pointless. Every single one of these ideas that are out there are pointless. Water recycling and reuse. That's that would take an entirely different infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, that. Uh, you know, nobody's going to pay for because there's no profit in it. And, you know, and, I mean, and, other than the fact that like, we can't survive without water. I mean, right. that's what I think is like, that's why I go, I, I meet, I, I, I always talk about these conversations I have with my coworker, Ava, but I always come back to these capitalistic ideas. Like they are raping the environment for the sake of profits and like I, I just it, these short term goals are so baffling to me because they're they're shooting themselves in the foot because they have to live on this planet too. Yeah, well, and we always see these these efforts. You know, you could you could go back in this problem and and start saying like, okay, well, let's protect the biodiversity, let's uh, protect the land and the species that live there. But then all of a sudden, we're talking about expanding moose hunts again in vermont this year and and even here they're not that interested in yeah i get the moose stick problem yeah but but the the, the solution is not not the solution yeah because then the ticks are cut more anyway uh we can do a whole migrate to the deer and it's bad it's bad all around but yeah we we can do a whole thing about about that uh uh, i'm just saying it wouldn't work i'm just saying all of these like you know, like I said before, pie in the sky solutions, everything I'm hearing, I am becoming more and more disheartened. And uh, I, you're making me feel like garbage here, buddy. Uh, that's like, that's <laughs> I wanted you to focus. I, I wanted you to look into the asteroid mining. I do. That's I do have some one. on that. That is yeah. the one way of mining. I yeah, can. And, and I, I, I'm going to spend a few minutes on that. Okay. I just. Well, yeah, uh, but we'll get, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. Yep. Okay, uh, so, go ahead. Uh, so reclamation a lot of times doesn't end up end up getting done. Uh, mm-hmm. These like the tailings that are very contaminated end up just getting a. They end up just dumping them back in the hole, mm-hmm. which then if it's if it's clean clean tailings, that's fine. But very rarely is it clean tailings, and a lot of times it doesn't end up back in the hole either. And then even if it does, it's also if it's contaminated. That water ends up getting into the water table, contamin or the the chemicals and heavy metals end up getting in the water table, contaminating the water supply, and it just becomes a whole to do. I mean, there's the whole like Aaron. Bro- I mean, go to, we can talk about Aaron Brockovich and the whole yeah. thing of like, hey, like Aaron Brockovich found out that like, hey, these mines 
were causing major water contamination. Yeah. And it was affecting the towns and, um, yep. Yeah. I can think of a couple of bluegrass songs about this too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then like, I, I very, I, I caught a little bit about, uh, dredging because we, we have mentioned dredging in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. dredging is, uh, they barely, they downplayed the impact dredging has dredging has huge environmental impact. You have flora and fauna disruption, sediment disruption, water table, like height adjustment, oxygen uh, depletion. And then they're finding it's taking, it takes decades to centuries for the sediment and flora and fauna to really reestablish itself after dredging operations. Is dredging does that fall under the 15 percent of uh of mining or does that fall under the 85 percent of surface mining is that considered surface mining mining because it's while it is underwater it's still above technically above ground okay okay but it's a lot it's more done in ocean environments than it is in rivers and lakes lakes okay uh yeah i i do remember lots of different dredging uh questions coming up over the years in like say the hudson Mm -hmm. um and i believe even lake champlain maybe about 20 years ago but i could be wrong on that and it used to be that like we've dredging is actually needed to a degree because we've impacted the waterbed so much that there is there's more sediment than there should be. Right. Like when, like there, there's a reason that we, there was major naval battles on Lake Champlain because you used to be able to easily get boats from the Hudson up to Lake Champlain via the river. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, some various canal systems. Um, yes. Even before the canal systems, like when the early explorers came up, they came right up the river yeah. into Champlain. There was no, there was no canals. Like they just sailed right up. Yes, yeah. Uh, I spent quite a bit of my childhood uh, climbing on the anchor of uh, Half Moon. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, okay, we're a little off track there. Uh, we already covered like reclamation is reclamation restoration. A lot of times doesn't end up happening due to the high cost of luck reclamation. And like I was saying before, these companies, the original profiting company ends up selling the mine and then the responsibility to clean up it. But the second company doesn't have the money because the real profit was extracted in the first by the first company. Right. And then we go back to that also the mining disasters, which are like tailing pool failures, uh, major contamination of the environment, uh, mine collapsing, like just as like uh, harm to human life. And then my, my, my last last little bit is lithium because we, 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 we would, yeah. would keep coming back to um, – so the lithium, the, like the, so, Arizona is where that that uh, mine I was mentioning before uh, is getting put in out in the Midwest. Uh, they are planning to move two hundred and seventy-two million metric tons of material, are the tailings, which will contain heavy metals and radioactive materials, and they're just going to put that stuff over in a pile over there. <laughs> 
But they're, this is the fun. So their solution, they're going to try this really cool, amazing new technology. Uh, they're not going to be putting dams around the tailing pits. Uh, they're just going to line them with plastic. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to let the listeners, uh, process that along with me and, uh, keep my mouth shut. I think, uh, yep. And then the what? other thing is, is, yeah, it's, it's very much a, and it's not also including the, the massive, so lithium is actually a very water intensive uh, extraction process because it's extracted in a fracking type manner where they pump what they call the the brine into the ground and then they pump more or, or it's they no they pump this water a, a specific kind of water into the ground then they pump the brine in which causes the water to rise and then spill out then they let that water dry out and then the the leftover mineral is then has the lithium in it that they, they use it. Then they extract the lithium from. So on average, the average mine uses 500,000 gallons of water per ton of ore. And that water then in turn becomes contaminated because it is, it is not, it can't be reused, which is like, I know we, we, we talk sometimes about, California and the almond and avocado water usage. But as, as much as I lament how much ag uses the water, that water is staying in the cycle. That water is not contaminated. That water can be reused. Whereas with mining, this massive amount of water is used and then it's contaminated and then it gets left behind by the mining companies. Because like you said before, like the cost to recover and clean up that water is too cost ineffective. And then for the and it has contaminants in it, that then it cannot be reused. And it goes like fracking is the same thing. Like all this water, which uh, the average mo- fracking mine uses 20 to 30 million gallons per day. And that water is then contaminated and can't be reused for anything else because they don't even reuse it for future fracking operations, which is like so frustrating. They just put it into these pools or storage tanks and leave it there. Good God. Yeah, oh, we're, we're, we're killing the environment. Uh, we, we are very much heading towards Mad Max. Yeah, and I feel like next week we're going to end up talking about, <laughs> you know. We're going to talk about Mad Max even more because we decided to talk about water next week. Yeah, water usage and uh, allocation and things like that. Water hoarding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, water hoarding, uh, water, all, all, all things water. We'll have fun. We'll have fun. So yeah. I, I pee, have been pee before the episode starts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been talking lots of doom and gloom, but uh, Lucas looked into uh, potential future mining that can A, be sustainable, not as high or environmentally impactful, and yeah. Yeah, well, so before we rock it off into space, uh, I want to talk just, do, do you see, I mean, because it is, I, I guess, growing, uh, like, is it, what is it called, LIDAR? Um, uh, but 
precision mining using technology to and automated systems for like more targeted and efficient extraction rather than you know talking about the coal mine mountains just disappearing uh maybe being able to target veins of coal and then be able to you know extract them and leave a cave um that's not they they don't do that anymore yeah that's how like that's how mining used to be do be done because it was it wasn't cost effective to strip mine. You dug a tunnel straight to the ore where you wanted to where you wanted to find, and that's it. Like you went to point A to point B, and then you were done. Yeah, yeah, like the copper mines here. Um, exactly. Like they were very much more like it used to be that way, and that's what prospect why prospecting used to be a massive industry because you'd you'd go and find the exact spot you want to dig because it was too cost ineffective to just hey we're just going to dig up this whole hillside and see what we find. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's also bio mining. Have you heard of this? Where uh, it's super super early stages. But using microorganisms to extract metals, uh, in like which is supposedly going to be less invasive and environmentally friendly. I don't know why we have to manipulate microorganisms to do things and still say it's environmentally friendly because we this could have massive ripple effects. But ripple effects. Um, I always uh, go back to the uh, gray, gray goo doomsday scenario. Oh, okay. <laughs> you heard of the gray goo doomsday scenario? No. So it's basically where they, uh, the theory is, is where they, they, a company will have like an oil spill or something occur uh, to where they will need uh, nanobots that eat carbon. Right. Okay. And they, it's supposed to just target the oil from the oil spill or such, but it does. But the nanobot ends up re- replicating so quickly and does can't differentiate between different types of carbon, which then means it targets everything, spreads until everything is becomes a gray goo of the nanobots. Right, as we know, all life forms are carbon based. Um, all right, let's let's go to space real quick here yeah, for a couple we're, of minutes. We're talk sci-fi. Let's talk space. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> asteroid mining is being presented as having benefits to the environment here on Earth, mm-hmm. uh, but it's right off the bat. All of this is you know speculation. It's, still, uh, it's it, in its it, infancy. Yeah, and and it's an opportunity to give everything careful consideration um but i have a quick breakdown of like arguments for and against and speak up as as you will eric um uh, so reduced earthly mining we're extracting resources from asteroids could potentially reduce the environmental impacts of terrestrial mining uh this depends on the specific asteroid mining practices and their overall footprint compared to earth-based operations Mm -hmm. uh which is to say building and creating the machinery and technology necessary to mine the asteroid here on earth could have uh, a, a you know environmental impact that could, could could accumulate and replace uh these issues um now 
this would give us access to rare earth minerals. These rare earth minerals are often so rare because they come from asteroids that have made impact with the planet. Um, and if you ever notice how weird it is that all those asteroids land in those big holes, yeah, it seems like crazy. such a coincidence. Very, um, very, very much. Somebody should look into that. Somebody, somebody <laughs> with more scientific knowledge should really look into that. Yeah. Uh, so asteroids are rich in rare earth elements, crucial for clean energy technology and electronics. This is our main thing, right? Uh, yep. Obtaining them off world could re reduce concerns about their limited availability and lower prices here, uh, as well as reducing the environmental impact yep. of their extraction on Earth, like what Eric was talking about with lithium. Lithium is huge. It's batteries. Lithium is huge, and it uses a, a, a combo of that fracking strip mining to get done. Yeah, which is a huge environmental impact. Like I Massive. Um, Massive. Uh, and, they, and they found like there's there's like an asteroid just out in the Jupiter belt that they've, they've identified that if we can get this, like it would provide every bit of, of humans lithium needs for almost indefinitely just because it is, it is practically a pure lithium rock well yeah and and but what this doesn't address when when they talk about the like woohoo we just found a big lithium rock is how we get to it? yeah how do we get to it how do we get it and then once we get it and we get it back to earth uh what are the um what's the impacts uh the, of of processing it and uh you know that and refining it like these are things that still need to be addressed in a very yes. very early technology um, yes very early but it's something that i really am optimistic that will help it'll help this start the healing process here on earth if we can make it to that point because the key is is making it there and right. if we are going to make it there is bezos and elon going to get their stupid ships up enough to get there and get the stuff and get it back because it's it's going to come down to those guys i hate to i hate them but it's going to come down to those guys' needs for these minerals and if the government's going to hold them accountable for their usage of those minerals to the point that it becomes cost effective for them to actually do it. Well, one of the answers to these things is space-based manufacturing. Uh, yes. Mining resources in space could enable the development of space-based manufacturing, potentially reducing the need for some resource-intensive industries on Earth. This is a very long-term idea it's a long-term uh, and... idea um japanese anime covers it quite a lot in the gundam series more but proof it, that we're not scientists we're just nerds <laughs> uh, i mean but i i like the politics of the gundam series because it really does go into how they we colonize space and then how either a the how earthlings then exploit the space workers for their cheap labor to get the minerals and then send it back to Earth, or vice versa, space becomes the power that then, in turn, you, uh, use then in turn you, uh, re takes resources from Earth to then go get, go further and further out into space. Uh, yeah, it's well, and, and my my whole thing, and I'm not a, a anime uh, watcher, but my my whole thing here is the the hubris of these concepts uh, that, you know, we thought we knew what was best for 
humans and for the earth over the last several thousand years and what we're looking at and we're just like oh let's just go do it somewhere else it'll be yeah. fine it'll be better uh don't worry about it and we don't know what hollowing out an asteroid will do to its uh pattern uh, or path and what the sort of uh fallout uh literal fallout of that would be but anyway um now technological in innovation development of asteroid mining technologies which doesn't really exist uh nope. uh uh it could spur innovation in uh, cleaner energy production, resource management, and things like that. Uh, you just got to have the. It is coming. What, what the that is part of what the NASA's current moon operations are aiming towards is to continue research, research, and look into and begin building mining operations in space, specifically on the moon, as kind of the test bunny for future asteroid mining and etc so like nasa is looking long term for this which is also we, we we laughed about the picture i sent this week of the congratulations nasa just landed a rover or a rover back on the moon it had corporate sponsors yeah and it put in an art installation uh so first time yeah. in 50 years something's been landed on the uh, by yeah. the united states now but we're talking within five i think it's five years we will have a man on the moon again yes yeah i think i believe it's it might even be less than that okay, so, like the artemis the artemis project and I, like i i do want to like i want to just like mention like the artemis project is big because it is one of its goals is to work out some of the beginning concepts of mining in space and building structures in space to then support the mining and then be able to send stuff back to Earth. Or if we'll just continue building in space, build space stations, and we're all going to be up there eventually. So technological challenges, we're done with that. Uh, <laughs> sustainability concerns, right? Uh, even if act, uh, mining an asteroid reduces uh, the environmental impact uh, uh, on of Earth-based mining, it doesn't guarantee sustainability. Uh, it, it, we still need to consider the overall resource consumption and potential pollution associated with the entire process, which I, I, I sort of alluded to earlier in the building of the infrastructure that would be needed to do this thing that we don't know how to do yet. Uh, you know, and, and at the same time, we would need to be implementing regulations Gover you know, government needs to get involved, uh, e extracting resources from It's not, not going to be government because government doesn't have jurisdiction in space. It's going to be the it's going to be the wild, wild west in space because co corporations are going to go the U.N., the U.S., Russia, NATO, all these organizations. They're going to sit there and say, you don't have jurisdiction here we're out there right okay so aside from legal questions what about the ethical questions regarding ownership environmental protection and potential harm to extraterrestrial life uh you know and and this is my sci-fi thing you know if these things are out there and, and by you know just math something's out there yep. uh clear regulations and international cooperation are are essential to not end up in the exact same loop we're already in and you know because uh, uh, you, you know it's you know <laughs> um, 
but you know, it's the ethical question of hollowing out uh, uh, an asteroid when you don't know how that asteroid plays into the entire system. You just remove something from a system that you don't understand it, the the potential for ripple effects. And I know this is my sci-fi side of things here, but you know, you do that enough times, you're going to impact the environment that is, uh, you know, the the terrestrial universe or, or non-terrestrial universe. Yeah, um, I was, like I, I it would take it will take thousands of years because the the scale of the Jupiter belt compared to what we're, we're thinking of is just so massive that it's just like, it would take thousands of years of human and it like humans mining out asteroids to really affect it. I, I'd be curious to see what happens in thousands of years because it absolutely is going to have some degree of effect, but this is also like, this is like these, the, these asteroids out there are like the size of the United States. <laughs> I, yeah. But I, I'm just afraid that, if everyone has that, you know, and I, I and forgive me, I think that's kind of a myopic way of thinking about this. Um, if everyone has that same mentality of like, there's just no way we could have an impact on that scale. I say we will, but the scale of it will be so long that the people today, the capitalists are go, that's for the people in a couple thousand years to deal okay, with. But how is that not the same problem we have right now? It is. It absolutely is. I, that's what I think. Like it, it all comes back to the capitalistic model that it's going to exploit the resources in whatever way is possible that will be profitable for them. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Rattle, 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 rattle. Just it's 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 foolish not to think about it now. I mean, it's but, foolish not to think about it, but they're not. Like they yeah. won't. They're just going to look at the. The problem, like we are going to sit there and go, hey, what about this? What about that? They're going to go, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, I, me, and, me and Ava have been going back and forth, and Ava is very much getting frustrated with me because I am such a, a nihilist about it all. Yeah, the, I mean, a lot of times I do agree with you on a lot of this stuff, but uh, – I don't know. I, I feel this this needs a, a lot more proactive uh, thinking. Uh, I don't know. I'm... Yeah. Elon's not proactive thinking. Elon just thinks about how where he's going to get his next billion. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I, I feel like we've covered about as much of this as we responsibly can without uh, starting to talk about anime again. Uh, yes. And <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on on the homestead and what we're going to talk about next week. Um, I know you just got uh, some new birds. Yeah, uh, I don't know if people can hear them, but like I, I've had cheeping going on in the background this whole time. Oh, I, I haven't been able to hear them, so it's probably not getting yes. the recording. Uh, yep. I am Samani, Samani. I can never remember yeah, how. I that. am Samani's one leg horn, and then some hy hybrids of Amani, Sayamis. I found out I'm butchering names, and everyone knows I butcher names on here. <laughs> yes, often yeah, referred the, to the all black chickens. Yeah, often referred to as the Lamborghini of chicken, of poultry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're all black. Uh, <laughs> They're like their flesh is black, their beak is black, the inside, like their feathers Everything. are black. Yep, their uh, eggs are still a uh, pinkish tan, light tannish color. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I know I everything I just made fun of you for, but they're very much the bird uh, that is a Sith. Uh, yes. So, but I, I'm curious, you know, when introducing flocks for me in the past, like having birds that looked drastically different made integration really hard. What, how, what, do you have a plan at this point? I'm going to try, try stealthing. Okay. Do the overnight thing. Yep. But I'm, I'm going to do like one or like, what I'm going to do is I, my, my plan is, so I'm building chicken coop 4.0 this, this spring because I have to, I have to have more room for all yeah. of these. Birds. Um, I so chicken coop 4.0. Uh, and when I do that, I'm going to have a little side yard off of it that I'm going to put the chicks, which will hopefully be about 12, uh, 12 weeks old at that point mm-hmm. into this side coop, which will be next to the main coop. And okay. then at night take, after they've been out there for a few days, at, then at night take one or two of the new birds and put them into the coop with the old birds at night when they're sleeping. Okay. All right. Start stealthing. We'll see how it goes. It's called stealthing, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. What else? You got anything else going on? Mostly just planning, getting seed orders together. um, I plan on getting some stuff started this week. So I have my time off. I want to get my, I want to get the plant table started, like the the milkweeds that I'm planning to start. Um, I actually have to start germinating now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you want to leave, you actually want to put them in a damp paper towel in your fridge for a few weeks. Actually, that makes sense. You're strat you're stratifying uh, the the seed. Yeah, yeah, and you're actually it increases the success rate that it will work because I do plan on. Um, I'm excited about this. Among other things that I'm planning in my yard uh, is my my butterfly sanctuary. Right. Yeah. I, this is um, you got. We talked about it a little bit last week. You got three of the four native milkweeds uh, here. The in only Vermont. one I didn't get was the white one. I can't think of the name of the white one, but there's a. It is called. There's butterfly milk, but it's called butterfly weed, swamp weed, and then common milkweed. And then so mm-hmm. butterfly is a beautiful orange color. The swamp is red, and then the common is that purplish, whitish, reddish that you see around everywhere. And 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 really, you know, uh, pollinators. It, it's so yep. important to think about pollinators, and your garden will be healthier for it. I think it's my great. garden will be healthier for it. And I've got like mm. I'm I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm having so much fun thinking about it because I'm also thinking of other. Um, wildflowers that I can mix in because like the swamp ones I'm, I'm putting in my far corner and then, cause that's the swampy area. And mm-hmm. then probably about 20, 20 feet up of them is then when I'll put the other ones in because it then starts drying out a lot more, but still gets good sunlight and all that stuff. And yeah. So I think, I think coming up this spring is really good because there's such a diversification just within like a two mile radius uh, around my home. Uh, mm-hmm. Where we could we could definitely find uh, and transplant a lot of things uh, uh, that that might work for you. I think that's yep. a really. I think we really need yeah, to do that. The wildflower mix I got definitely has like the big now one. I, I want to hear the get. chickens. And now you can hear them. Yeah. Yeah. Now that uh, I know they're there. Uh, yes. uh, like black eyed Susans. I I, got, I made sure that the wildflower because I got the wildflower mix from a company from, called the Vermont Wildlife Wildflower Farm which is up in Hardwick. 
uh, Vermont, which you said their prices were a little high. I thought so. They, you thought so. I got some of their mix anyways. Got a quarter pound of their mix for 10, 10 bucks. It's got Black Eyed Susans. Uh, and a number of other uh, local native wildflowers in in it that I'm also going to be spreading out in my new wildflower butterfly sanctuary area. I mean, I, my my plot here is just so overrun with wildflowers that like the concept of buying them <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> like, yeah, you have sections where we're like, we're just not going to mow this year over here and you just get this succession of, of wildflowers every year. That's See, I, just I, so have, I have lawned my old wildflowers. I used to have very, a lot of milkweed and other stuff, but I've just mowed it down so much over the years. And my mom, my mom converted it to lawn back when we got the riding mountain, the Lord, because it came, it became justifiable to mow all that area. <laughs> but I want to downsize and I want to actually put, send a lot of that area back to field. Leave them alone. Cats messing with the chicks. Yes. Yes. They, <laughs> and, Cause I have a cardboard barrier around and it's at a height that they can, they can reach in. But they can't actually like they're like stretched so far they can't actually do anything. So it's more of like a like I I, I sit there and wait like the Venus flytrap of like messing with chicks because they'll just reach in and leave their paw there. And when something gets near it, they'll be like, you know, I've always I've heard suggestions of using a tent like a for camping to put your chicks in to protect them from such things. If you have the space to kind of put up a small tent somewhere and you can get a cheap one at Walmart or something for probably oh, yeah, 30 bucks. Like, but, yeah, but I think uh, I may even have like a cheap $30 Walmart tent somewhere yeah. in my house. So it's something I've, I've heard <laughs> and, and it contains a certain amount of heat, you know, when, right. uh, cause a lot of, um, you know, the, you know, especially for uh, Texas right now, but when they have these massive power outages and it's cold, they're told to set up a tent inside their house to yep. contain body heat, uh, which is brilliant. It's unfortunate that it happens, but yes. um, yep. not, I mean, well, in here this week, it's really just a lot of uh, planning and getting ready for stuff. I have just got my hands full with uh, being involved in two farmers markets on a, on a um, uh, leadership level, I guess. I don't know yep. uh, how to put that. But it's uh, it's been busy for me. A lot of meetings, a lot of uh, uh, planning, paperwork, and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think uh, both of us placed a uh, Baker's Creek order this week. Yes, yeah, I did. We're waiting on that. Uh, we need to check our shipping because we don't want them left outside. Um, yeah, mine just. I think mine. I got shipped. Mine. Sh- I, I have to double check mine, but I'm I'm excited for what I got because I got those. Uh, I got three kinds of jalapenos. Okay. So I got the the lemon jalapenos, mm-hmm. the pumpkin spice jalapenos, and I can't remember what the third one is called, but it's another orange one. We uh, we got a lot of squashes. We're going back into squashes. Um, we are. I can't remember the term, but we're planting because we had such a problem with certain beetles on our squashes a couple of years ago, and I know I've talked about this before, where we stopped growing squashes for two the last two years and i hoped that these bugs would just move on you know instead of using chemicals right so now what we're going to do is we're going to pl- uh like a trap patch further away of mm-hmm. a very buggy squash uh hubbard squash yep. which you know we're not big eaters of 
but if we plant them in surrounding areas that hopefully they'll sort of trap the bugs and things like that uh meg did get me some thai chili pepper seeds we were having trouble finding seeds this year uh, but I think it was mostly squashes and pumpkins and things because we really want to get back into things that we can uh, store for long term without mm. necessarily having to process them beyond, you know, cleaning them. Yeah. Uh, so oh, I, that's... Two, I got two kinds of carrots as well. I got the the, 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 the Kyoto reds. Yep. And I got the those those giant ones. OK, we always do the the Kyoto's. Uh, those are a late planting, aren't they? they they're, aren't those a. Uh, midsummer planting for fall harvest yeah i'll have to double check them when they come yeah i think they're i think they're later planting mm-hmm. um because they'll they're a little more frost hardy yep um, i also learned uh the best way to start my uh pepper seeds and, and maybe you're familiar because you you do know a lot more of these uh old wives tale things that actually work but uh chamomile tea uh, so, uh, you basically, so basically you make yourself a cup of chamomile tea. You have a cup of chamomile tea, you save the tea bag, and then you make another cup of chamomile tea with that tea bag. You let it cool and then you dump all your pepper seeds in it. And then overnight, they, it just, uh, I, I don't remember the exact, uh, interaction, but overnight they, they sort of react and you get a better, uh, uh, germination rate. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, but wow, we are running long today. We're just about okay. to hit an hour. So I, I think I, I, from my notes, I, I kind of figured I'd get yeah, a little. Uh, I couldn't stop. Yeah, I couldn't stop. Yeah. So next week we're going to be talking about water. Um, if you'd like yeah. to talk about water, let's talk about water. You can reach us, uh, social medias. You know, just look up broken shovel eight Oh two. You're going to find all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, uh, we're available by email at brokenshovel802 at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about water and uh, the way it way it's affected the world. Um, yep. So, uh, but just before we go, can you tell me, can you tell me why miners make good detectives? No, why do miners make good detectives? They know how to dig for clues. Ugh. All right. Bye, everybody.